0: Recorded during the Play Gear 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute, a show where uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we go over one minute of uh, probably one of the best uh, techno thrillers ever made, the 1971, all-too-timely 1971, Robert Wise-directed feature. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com.
1: And I'm Jennifer Lavasser, a museum curator at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum.
0: And Jennifer, it's great having you on here in a, you know, at a time of isolation and contamination and all kinds of stuff. You guys deal with all kinds of stuff, stuff, things coming back from space. So who better than you to have on the show?
1: Absolutely. And it's always fun to, you know, watch a movie that has, you know, slight little hints back to work, um, considering we haven't been in the office for some time. Hearing words like Lunar Receiving Lab, it always kind of just makes you feel like you're right back in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you don't get to wear the orange jumpsuits, though, do you? I don't know if. I...
1: Thankfully, no. I think that would be incredibly unflattering. <laughs> At least not me.
0: Oh, well, I, I just keep. They keep saying that they're made out of paper and stuff. I keep picturing this like large, like a paper towel roll, except they're like shirts and pants and just kind of tear. How big are you? About an L, a, a medium. You know, you just, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're in the we're in the middle of getting a bunch of. Uh... <laughs> This is the only move. The, the The best thing about Michael Creighton is not only does he provi- provide a lot of uh, phony science, but he provides fake citations to back up his phony oh, science. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things, you know, I've watched – you know, you watch any History Channel program, no offense to the History Channel, but there are some things on there that are a little – hard to believe sometimes and as a historian watching programs you're always looking for the evidence and i have to say this you know this film sets it up in a very compelling way of making it look like this is real that this is there's real evidence here that there, you know and you wonder why all the conspiracy theorists are out there it's you know i know you know it's a great film but you know there we plant hollywood plants seeds of this stuff all the time and so you kind of just have to go with it and um hopefully you can Distinguish between reality and fantasy.
0: Yeah, this and uh, Capricorn 1 and probably uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure has. I. I <laughs> I've talked with people at the uh, in the National Park Service that run the Alamo National Historic Site, and they said their number one question is where's the basement in the Alamo. So, oh uh, boy, you must. What's your what's your most common misconception when people besides besides the one about are these the real spacecraft? Because I've heard that one at the yeah, we
1: get that one a lot, um, and I think it's. You know, I, I mean, there are so many moon hoax theories out there. I mean, personally, the one I have to grapple with from time to time is, you know, just the sort of some of the more specific fine points of the moon hoax theory where, you know, there's no stars in the pictures because I do, a, you know, I, I do a lot having to do with photography. And um, people always want to know, you know, why can't I see any stars in the background of the moon images? It proves it was on a set because it's just a back, black oh, backdrop. No. And so to have to, you know, kind of explain that, that you know, the technique of photography and how the camera works and light and all that, it... it makes it so scientific and that's the real challenge for someone like me who's a historian is trying to push away those theories those those the pressure back when I'm a historian I'm not a scientist and so I have to you kind of have to know the science behind it to be able to defend it and the fact that I have to do that amount of work just to be able to tell somebody no this is the truth and then reality too you know nothing I say is probably ever going to dissuade somebody from really believing that something is the way it is i mean we have uh coronavirus deniers and all that right now too so it it, there's there is no literally i think this is the time when we figure out there is no amount of evidence scientific or otherwise that will you know push somebody in the direction of really believing the scientific truth of something
0: yeah you're you're dealing with matters of faith and dogma more than you're dealing with trying to argue facts so it's like you said it's kind of pointless um but that's your job you you, you gotta be an explainer we keep doing it (laughs) um i've got a couple of questions i mean we have this there's, there's a couple of things from a from a museum curation uh thing that that i wonder about when you deal with uh historical artifacts from the space age uh, one of the things we're, we're showing here is, uh, he's turning on a nuclear device and, um, you know, it's a, it's a, for, for one thing, it's a classified thing. This is, you know, the highest Z Kappa, I think is the way they, the Z cap right. status of, of secretness. Um, and you know, as time goes by, things get declassified. Um, we, we for example, the, uh, the Air Force Museum now has the, the keyhole satellite that was super... Super top secret and now it's you know out there on the floor for you to wander around and, and stare at yeah. um, do you get do, do you get things before they're declassified do you have to have people there with security clearances in the Smithsonian to evaluate potential donations from like NRO
1: now, well there's we have some good examples of instances where we've been sort of in the middle of some of that so do we have people that are capable of that on site? No. Most instances of artifacts coming to the museum, everything has been removed, um, you know, in terms of if it's a military uh, uh, vehicle, aircraft, whatever, they demill it. So they're going to take out all of the, the sensitive pieces of um, material that are inside it so that we don't have to deal with that and that they're comfortable with it being you know basically all the security measures or whatever have all been taken out so that mostly is done prior to it coming here um and that that runs all of the aviation and space artifacts basically Um, now there are some where we are kind of in the middle of that process Um, the best example of that is the corona satellite so as the corona satellites were being um declassified at least in their existence back in the mid 90s was when we received the corona satellite so as an artifact we got that in the museum it's on display it's been on display for a very long time in the um the main space hall down in the downtown building uh, at the museum so so while we can't say everything and while i have a colleague who has been very active in declassification efforts of some of the evidence and the material that um, nro and others would have on a satellite project like that there's only so much we can do and so we 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 do try to you know, include what we can and talk as best we can about the artifact with what we know. But there are lots of people out there who um probably know a heck of a lot more than we do. So it's always really interesting to think about, you know, just what what else there might be to know out there um that we don't have. Um but it, you know, we definitely have we have, you know, the Shells of artillery. We have the shells of and the sort of test versions of um certain other things like bombs. So, you know, you can obviously, you're not gonna have
0: um. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. That, that Minuteman you have in, out in the front door is not live. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. Yeah. So all of those kinds of things are taken out so that we don't then have to deal with it, which is great. Um, we do have some artillery that we have to keep in a secure location so that it can't be accessed. and. We, t- we have to keep records on all of those things and anything that does have potentially sensitive items that relate to other agencies in the government we have to keep track of very closely as well even things that have radioactive materials in them we have to track those as well so there are definitely layers of all of this um, in terms of sensitivity that we have to observe so um, and we've been involved in some of those big you know things so a few years back we had a hexagon satellite that was out in the parking lot of the udvar Center in Chantilly Um, That was a sort of a brief display. So, you know, we have these varying degrees of uh, relationships largely built by curators. And so, um, you know, even the space shuttle, and I'm our space shuttle curator, even things inside the space shuttle had to be removed for various reasons, whether it be for safety or, um, you know, residual chemicals and things like that. So, Um, you know, there is this sort of range of possibility in terms of how we need to do anything. Now, we don't need to put on usually any kind of um, suits or anything. We don't need to go inside a little bubble or use robotic arms like they do in the movie, but um, (laughs) nothing that exciting. But um, yeah, we do have to be careful. Um, It is possible that we could open something up that's been closed for, you know, Years and years, and it have something in it that we didn't expect. Um, so we we have a, you know a lot of safety measures, a lot of safety training, to make sure that we're prepared for that kind of a possibility.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you think about how much hydrazine was in the space shuttle, and just making sure you got every last little drop out. Yeah, I, you know, and it's, it's
1: yeah, it's just not possible to do that safely in a in an environment like ours. And so. Um, it, while well, not everyone knows it, the, all of the, basically what you see on the space shuttle Discovery and on any of the space shuttles that are on display other than Enterprise, um, all of the, um, what you see on the exterior is really all that's there. So the reaction control systems and the ohms pods and things like that, anywhere where hydrazine would have ever flowed or been, those have been um basically gutted so that those and they're baking out in the desert so that at some point in theory that hydrazine will be no longer there won't be a trace of it at least uh, it'll won't be unsafe to humans in terms of uh, trace amounts but we'll never be able to put it back on display and put discovery back to its full complete glory um, in part because we just don't know, it, over the life of something like that, how it could potentially affect people. And we have to treat radioactive materials much the same way. There are certain federal regulations on how far you have to be or um, can be, how close you can be, really, to radioactive materials in a setting like ours. And so we have to observe those guidelines just like everybody do, else.
0: Do you have, a, speaking of, uh, of nuclear things, do you have any uh, SNAP equipment from, uh, from, like, the lunar? period i don't know um
1: if... yes but i think that those are all like training versions so okay. they are not they would have never have contained anything um most of that material was would have probably only had anything on it um once it was actually going to go up i don't think that they loaded any material in the ones that were just on the ground training so um and the other you know the other kind of um unusual material that we sometimes um, deal with as well is the actual lunar material. So, of course, most of the lunar material went down to the Lunar Receiving Lab in Houston and is still controlled by NASA, but we have a fair number of artifacts that you cannot remove that lunar material from, and that includes spacesuits and anything that would have been out on the lunar surface. And so there are instances, certainly, of encountering lunar material when we are working with our uh, spacesuit collection and in particular uh, we at one point opened a package uh, about five years ago and there's um, some film of this on our website I think it's still there Um, we uh, had a a package and NASA has this classic pink plastic that they use to package things up even going back to the sixties and seventies and inside this package was the cover to part of gene cernan's um, life support backpack and the cover of it had been and it was even dated on the outside of the package it had been packaged up in january of 1973 and so that package had remained sealed for basically 50 or 40 some years at that point point. and we decided that we wanted to put this on display and so we went through some procedures by putting out certain materials on a table so that if any of the lunar material was still on there and it fell off, we'd be able to collect it and um, and put it in, a, in, a, in some kind of a vial or something. Um, and we had to use particular kinds of gloves. And there was, you know, a whole procedure that our conservators used in order to open that package safely because, of course, we don't want to contaminate ourselves and breathe in any of that material. Uh, so it was quite the experience to be present for something like that. I recently saw photos of the experience and I remembered fondly just thinking how almost monumental it felt to do something like that where you've got this lunar material that is embedded in things. And we have some wonderful photographs of um, some high resolution um, microscope images that we took of just how um sticky we like to say it's sticky how sticky the lunar material is it kind of embeds itself inside things and so you could see a star on the flag on the backpack and inside that little white star you could see all kinds of little flecks of lunar uh, lunar material so
0: Oh, it's almost um, like nettles though I understand. Yeah,
1: it. like, yeah, it's very angular. It's it's very sharp and so it has a tendency to kind of just bury itself in everything, which is why if you look at a lunar worn lunar suit today, you'll still see it looks kind of grayish and blackish in various parts. Um, our best example being um, Harrison Schmitts from Apollo 17. It's just it, we call it beautiful. We say it's beautiful because it looks so worn and and dirty really, but it is so well preserved. Um, but it shows you just how um, kind of dangerous that kind of material could be. And that's why they took such procedures. And so, you know, thinking back on the movie itself, it's exactly, you know, you can, you know, working from my perspective, it's not hard to understand why in the case of something like this, they would be incredibly careful. And not even being a you know a, do- a medical doctor or a scientist, I can I can see why something that is potentially so dangerous would be dealt with so carefully.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> but fortunately, you don't work in a you don't work in a place with a nuclear device to destroy everything if you make a exactly. mistake. So. <laughs> yeah, I I can um
1: I I can breathe a little bit easier at least for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I the the thing that. Uh, the thing that I've always noticed, and I, you know, I, I worked in D.C. for many years. The, the the most unrealistic part of this entire movie is nobody has the budget for those kind of meeting rooms in a uh, in any government agency I've ever been in. They're usually like used desks from somewhere else, and you got yeah. them, you know, they're hammy downs <laughs> Just...
1: Exactly, and until uh, my the curators moved out of the National Ball Building for the renovations about two years ago. Until that point, that's exactly what we lived in. And it certainly has a certain amount of character. You know, There are some people that can appreciate that about older federal buildings, is that the spaces are generally fairly small and there's not that many windows. And you know, it's, it's, so natural light is at a premium and you know, it's only the most senior people that get the windows or even doors usually. And so um, you know, seeing all of this makes me think you know, a little bit about what that's like in terms of feeling cut off from the outside world to some degree. Um, but being in a non-federal building or in lease space for the last two years, it's so bright and airy and light, I'm, I, you know, it's completely the opposite of what these people are experiencing, which is just complete isolation. And, you know, despite the fact that we've all been, you know, fairly isolated for the last few months, um, I sit in an office that has two windows right in front of me. And, you know, I have plenty of light and air conditioning and, you know, most of the things that I need, I can get fairly easily. Um. I don't envy them later when they have to sit in the cafeteria in this movie and they're eating you know they're drinking kind of mush and eating yeah. eating food pills and things like that that definitely you know that kind of harkens back to a bit more of a jetsons astronaut kind of a feel to it for sure
0: yeah it d- definitely has the feeling of what the what the 70s look l- what the future looked like to people in 1970s so absolutely just, it, yeah there's a l-
1: there's a lot there that is very clearly kind of oriented in a very particular time. Um, you know, it's nothing like *The Martian*. If you want to think of *The Martian* as our more present, future-looking version of things, um, yeah, they don't look very much alike at all.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about on this meeting, but we're going to we're going to pick this up on Wednesday uh, for folks who'd like to leave some more uh, s- some more comments on, on what it was like and what 1970 felt like the future for them. If, you, if you're back old enough to remember those kind of things, love to hear from you. Uh, check us out on social media at Andromeda Minute or uh Uh, i'm sorry andromeda minute on twitter or on facebook at uh, project wildfire the andromeda minute uh listeners lounge uh anyway we will return on wednesday where we're going to keep going with this uh with this conference and find out uh what the next steps are as they keep going on this uh exposition avalanche uh until then please uh stay six feet apart uh wash your hands and uh, we'll get through this plague uh, as soon as possible so we'll see you here next time on the andromeda minute